0: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Brown People Problems. Today, um, I'm joined by Ashima Varma. She is Indo-Canadian, and immigrant, and the owner of a very successful marketing company where she helps businesses uh, scale their business
1: through ads. Welcome, Ashima! It's so nice to have you here. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here.
0: Yeah. Um, how are you
1: feeling, getting on here and chatting today? Honestly, I've been awake since five o'clock. I'm feeling great though, I'm feeling great. I feel like this is like the last work day for so many of us, so I'm just excited. Yeah. Perfect, yeah, I'm very excited to have you on here in chat. Um, I know
0: we've kind of known each other for a number of years now, but we've never kind of done something like this together. And like I said last Mm. time, you were the first person that came to my mind when I wanted
1: to talk about immigration
0: and Mm. i'm hoping you can get into that a little
1: bit today of course i honestly think there are so many like there's such few places where i get to talk about that so i'm i'm excited to share my feelings especially like i i was traveling for a month in london like uk and it's been i just thought it would be a normal solar trip but it just opened up so many interesting like things for me as an immigrant so and like I was traveling with people who are like born and brought up in Canada so their experience versus my experience in London, UK is like extremely different so yeah it's very top of mind for me so it's great timing.
0: I think even so you know there's even a difference in your sort of experience of immigration and mine right? So <laughs> you know, our our listeners, I was born in India, but my parents decided to move here when I was very young, so around 12. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, you're still conscious you know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a really interesting time because I think I was young enough to still mm-hmm. be exposed in like meaningful or like larger ways to like the Canadian mm-hmm. culture or the society. But I also had a very good understanding of the belief system that I was bringing with me, mm. right, from my country of origin. Mm. And I think that is most, that's similar to most stories, right, of immigration, mm. like kids come here with their parents, some sooner, some a little bit later. Mm. But your process is very interesting because, you know, you didn't come here with your family, sort of you, you made the decision as an adult to say, okay, you <laughs> know what, like, I'm gonna try something different you know peace out India I'm gonna try something different and yeah that just sounds like such an interesting process do you want to share a little bit more about that
1: of course yeah in all honesty so I am Punjabi I was born and brought up in Punjab I moved out of my house for my bachelor's in Chandigarh which is like the capital of Punjab Mm -hmm. so I was already away from home but it's like two hours three hours from home versus like a 16 hour flight now (laughs) and I so grew up like people knew oh she's a smart kid she's gonna do something well with her life and then I did my bachelor's in commerce and then in India the whole culture or like the education system is very competitive And since grade six, I've known that, hey, I want to, you know, do something in commerce or business. And then when I finally sat for those all India level entrance exams, which is like a whole different level of pressure. And like, I inherently knew that I was smart and I was like, good at this. And I had been like, But during that test, I got an 89% or like percentile and it was considered bad. It was considered like tier two. And I think from 90 above, like you were considered good or tier one. And you'll get like all of the IIMs, which is like the best school for like management studies in India, Mm -hmm. masters. And I was like, I did not want to compromise. And I was like, what, what else can I do? And I, again, it all stemmed from this, like belief in myself. I'm like, no, I am good. One test cannot dictate my future. Mm. And even though I grew up with all all of that conditioning, like you have to be the best and all of those things, I was like, no, I'm going to do something else. I actually applied for Germany and. Yeah. My dad at the time was working for a Canadian firm. He's a graphic designer. He's been in the field for like decades. And he he told his friends that, you know, his daughter, his Canadian friends that his daughter wants to go to Germany. And they're like, why not Canada? And my dad was like, okay, so as a Punjabi growing up, like the narrative around this is like, if you don't have anything else to do, you're just going to go to Canada. <laughs> Canada. And I was like, no, I don't want to go to Canada, So that's what I grew up with and got like yeah. Punjabi movie industry, it's just like, right. it's, a very, it's a very different influence. And I just thought of like, it wasn't cool or the dream for me, right. it, it's for a lot of people, but I was like, no, I just can't. So I actually, contrary to everyone else, I was like, no, I don't want to. And I didn't even see Canada for Canada. It was just like that perception. And then I cleared out my exam, got into master's. It was like a program in collaboration with like Boston University. Amazing. It was just like a stroke of luck. My dates and emails, like something happened with my travel agency and they mixed up the dates. And And it was just, it just didn't happen the way I had envisioned and at the time i was like i just need to get out of this space or also around that time i lost someone very close to me Mm -hmm. and so for me i just like couldn't be in the country in the same state almost and and my dad was like coming he was in canada at the time Mm -hmm. just like fulfilling his contract and he's like why don't you just try it there was no pressure of like getting the residence it was just like a trial period and I was like and I was trying a lot of things including marketing and digital and I was like okay maybe I can just try this and I think for three four months into the program I fell in love with this subject even more and then everyone around me was an immigrant too when I came to mm. Canada it's like all the students and we all are going mm. through the same thing and like a part of me just like realized what is this Canadian dream? And I understood why people wanted to do this. Strangely enough, not enough Punjabis around. So these were people from like Mumbai after their MBAs. And I'm like, okay. So it just like opened my eyes and I saw, and I was in London, Ontario for context. Okay. Uh, So a completely different experience. And I decided to stay. Yeah, yeah sounds like yeah, like quite a story, like something totally
0: unexpected, like that you hadn't planned for. It wasn't kind of what you wanted. It just happened.
1: It it happened, and then once it happened, I made that choice every year, almost like literally. Did the first program, did the second, found the jobs, all of the things. Then it was a choice. It's it's hard. Yeah. Like my dad says it all the time. He's like the first five years is always hard. Like it's always yeah. hard as an immigrant. Yeah. Yeah absolutely absolutely
0: what would you say was sort of like one of the hardest things for you to navigate then as an immigrant in those first few years
1: i think we don't realize what being away from home means like when just like that 16 hour long flight it's especially when you're in school it's just that you don't have the time even if you have the resources and it's just so stressful i think one of the earliest things i remember is like i came in end of november so yeah around the same time and it was so cold yeah. i just oh. it's a it's a little thing and I'm like why do people choose this and i remember mm-hmm. doing the you know people took like my friends at the time family friends that took me to niagara and i was like not impressed <laughs> i was, I yeah. was like I, i'm like <laughs> it's so cold i don't know yeah. why, but i think i'm um, it starts with language and it's just like people not being able, able to understand what you're saying and it's like yeah. I have grown up as someone who speaks English as right. well yeah. so I speak English in the and Punjabi so all three languages yeah. but it's just it's different and going back to the part about like London UK yeah. so I just like, again, this is the first time realizing like every time I used to say something and it wasn't like understood or interpret it properly, I actually just internalized that, oh, I'm speaking the wrong way. I, I didn't even realize. So when we went to the UK, people are like, so all my Canadian friends are like, oh, who's like, so you guys call apartment flats. I grew up with the term flats. I use the word "fit." Like, there's so many little things that I've—I literally, when I was in London, I'm like, I should have gone to London instead because that language switch and like the British versus American and. My friend asked me, she's like, How, what do you mean you had British English growing up? Well, the colonial rule is still there because all my education system is mm. so heavily influenced by the British. So my education is all in British, like mm. education system. So if we spell like British, we speak like mm. British. So it's, it's just very interesting to like, I, I just had to like kind of change my vocabulary i yeah. i still remember one of my english professors so i was like out of the whole immigrant lot i was one of the people who kind of spoke better english mm-hmm. and he just like asked me to his older older white man uh he asked me and he's like i need to speak to you and i was like i don't know what's going on and then he goes um pointed to like our whole group and he goes can you just tell them this is not Canadian English it was I didn't even realize I was like what the hell is happening it's an English class but the reality is the capitalization there is like little things our sentence formation like I think for the first six to eight months it's all language yeah it's and it's just it's so important you need to you needed to order a coffee you needed to do everything around so yeah. i that's that's what i remember and now yeah. things are different for me but like the first six months i think it was very hard to look beyond or think beyond just like the language the communication
0: yeah yeah you know when you were talking it made me think of you know my experience and it's obviously similar mm. in some ways but different mm. in others and the whole problem with language, I remember having that too, because I think I started grade eight when I moved here mm. and um I remember I looked over I was in grade eight sitting, I think I don't remember what class it was, but I was sitting mm. in class and I turned to this guy next to me and mm. I said to him, Do you have a scale? Yeah. And right yeah. so my- <laughs> And that's yeah. like that's what we call a ruler the story called ruler. in India, yeah. India ruler. scale, yeah. yeah. and I was like, I "Have a scale." He was like, "What?" And I was like, "You know, a scale. Like I need to draw like a line. You have a scale." And he was just bewildered. He was like, "What the hell is a scale?" And then like I pointed it to it, like on his desk. And he was like, "Oh, you mean a ruler." And I think that was a such a vivid memory even now, but that was a really big like learning mm-hmm. experience. so I was like, wait a minute, even though I'm fluent in English, even though I've yeah. grown up in English as like a really prominent language, yes. the vocabulary, the lingo, the slang is so different. And yeah. you know, people sort of just, like looked at me at that time with just this like fogginess in their eyes, like what, like we what? get what you're saying, but we don't actually get what you're saying. And that was was such an interesting time because I also like Mm -hmm. you internalize that as I am doing something wrong Mm -hmm. or I don't have sufficient like knowledge or information, but it really quickly gets translated as a sense of like deficiency or inadequacy.
1: Yeah. It's like, oh, not good enough or less than I just like fully internalize it for years. I wouldn't even understand. oh that was racist not this example mm. but in general when some of our professors would treat people differently based on how they spoke they would never say the name because they don't know how to pronounce it or would say it wrong and or would just shorten it without even asking yeah. I like people started calling me ash and i'm like i at the time i'm like i don't want to be an inconvenience and now i think it's such an important mm. part of my life and everything i correct every time oh my god yeah. my name is Ashama. and i don't my, i don't have that sort of resentment anymore either because I've, i have i feel okay i understand yeah. but i have the confidence of correcting people now yeah. so which was not the case i remember i i like scored like this best internship in london ontario the only person did it for interviews got it and then the whole Three or four months the team kept on calling me Ashima. i never corrected mm. them once yeah. yeah
0: yeah absolutely i think that's such a common experience for so many immigrants mm-hmm. right exactly like mm-hmm. how you said we don't want to be an inconvenience okay. right so yeah. it just feels more convenient to anglicize your name um, mm-hmm. for the benefit of the other person yeah. and i think in many ways that's so much like at the root of a lot of like internalized racism. I think that our community mm-hmm. here carries, you know, you're either like, mm-hmm. I hate these terms, but you're either whitewashed or you're a I really grew up with that because when I moved here, that was early 2000s. So that was like like 2004, so sort of right at the cusp of like a massive integration movement that was mm-hmm. happening um, in the GTA. And I just remember, there was just these two labels that existed in the schoolyard like you're either whitewashed or you're a fob. And it was really hard because you don't know where to fit in into that.
1: Yeah. I, I, so I have a lot of friends in the entrepreneurial space who are also South Asian or women of color and they're first gen so my experience is so different sometimes like it's not about i don't feel confident almost uh when and again you almost put on this mask of confidence because i'm confident in the work i do but it when it comes to like almost oh how am i looking i remember my some of my first gen friends and even though they were joking like with each other. It wasn't about me. Uh, they. I think the girl was just like, I don't know what she was wearing, but the, their partner just like went, um, Hey, uh, you're looking, you're, you're giving off immigrant right now. Oh, oh God. And these are like, Again, these are first-gen folks, South Asian, mm-hmm. and they just made that comment without even thinking. Mm-hmm. And it was such a little thing, but it's in my head. I'm like, oh, the way you dress can be perceived as immigrant or the way you do things can be perceived as immigrant. And it, there's um, there's this unspoken understanding that that's not good. It's less yeah. than the other experience or the other people it's just it's so wild to me and now that i'm aware of it i i do experience it i it has happened to me i'll go to the restaurant and uh it happened very recently it's never happened to me before but the guy goes uber eats and i'm like no a table for two yeah i was and you know what everyone I don't know if you've noticed this but we, we see black women in this space and they're always dressed to the tee, and they look so gorgeous and like always just like 10 on 10 mm-hmm. and I've realized that it's because we as women of color don't have the option mm-hmm. to not be you know all done up or all dressed because if they're not we're just perceived in a different way there are some like prejudice there's some prejudice there's some preconceptions Mm. or some judgments assumptions when you're not looking the part i have a friend again she's um south asian married to a vietnamese person and Mm. their kids look more vietnamese and during Mm. covid in one their racism was Mm. brutal and she'd go to drop off her kids in the morning And the other moms would say, oh, she's the nanny. Oh,
0: wow.
1: So the other day, I met her in the morning, and she looked so beautiful. I'm like, wow, like, you're all dressed up for 8 a.m. Like, this is amazing. And she's Mm. like, I have to. I have to. It's just those little things. And it's just been weighing on me almost. And like, why do we have to, like, why can't I just, like, show up somewhere without Mm. looking the part? why do i have also have to spend so much energy in just like looking the part yeah to
0: really protect ourselves from some of these judgments right like these microaggressions like these Mm -hmm. these really pinch and you kind of have to be on guard because you don't know where it could kind of come out of come out from
1: yeah it does
0: happen I know Absolutely, we feel like we have to hide parts of our, you know, like Indian identity, or we have mm-hmm. to kind of change something about how we're acting, or our likes, our our interests, our hobbies. I remember, um, yeah, I wanted to go a few years ago. I think it was the first time Rupi Kaur did her, did a show in in mm-hmm. the GTA. And it was like five or six years ago. And Uh I wanted to go to it and I did end up going to it. But I remember not telling anybody in my life because a part of me, especially the people, you know, who kind of mock you for Mm. being too brown. I didn't share any of this with them for the fear of being mocked, right? I think it just kind of just goes to show how much fear of like prejudice and discrimination we live in from other
1: communities, but also from our own Our own, our own. I feel that so much. Like, I feel like, especially now since May of 2020, people are trying to understand, especially white people in my community. And I do know that at least in my circle, people are making the effort to understand. Mm-hmm. However, it's the other South Asian folks Whether it's first gen, second gen, Mm -hmm. who just like they're just almost blinded to this because they're like, Well, I am South Asian, so I don't need to and again your experiences are valid, but you don't even know how you make the other person feel without like without being intentional about it. You're sometimes making others feel even more othered. And Mm -hmm. I think that almost pinches or hurts more.
0: Yeah, absolutely, because
1: you kind of, you know, you're
0: hoping that you would Mm. be kind of embraced and accepted, like, within your community. Um, But I think you're right that even in our communities, we need to do the work of
1: examining and accepting and tweaking. Yeah, and like, in our communities, especially, there is racism, 100%, and we don't even talk about it like that it's just like it's a joke or it's there's insider jokes and all of those things and it's so hard to almost address these things in a family setting and i've tried and Mm -hmm. it just like yeah nobody's almost open to it it's the work is so gradual at least with my grandparents my parents are still open to the conversation
0: yeah, yeah. And I think this is that part of immigration stress or acculturation mm-hmm. stress that we don't talk about enough. There's a lot of yeah. conversation around, you know, like typical like, immigrant parents or just someone who's mm-hmm. an immigrant, like working on jobs or worrying about mm-hmm. putting food on the table and trying to navigate a new culture. But this whole idea of having to police ourselves. Like, behaviorally, verbally, to fit in huge huge amounts of acculturation stress.
1: It's exhausting. It's an exhausting way to live. And a lot of my success, business success, it has to be, I think, it can be attributed to staying authentic. And I know I have to lean into This part of myself as well, if I want to show up fully as myself. However, the first few years of my career, I 100% was fitting in because most of the times I was the only person of color on the team. Mm. Mostly the only person of color in the board meeting. Mostly the only young person. So Mm. I was already there was i remember when i quit my job just like feeling that the other person did they just made me feel this way like hey you're too young saying these to me like and i feel like i wonder sometimes if i was why would they have the courage to or not courage but like would they feel comfortable enough to like say these things Mm -hmm. like I think they just think that, oh, just because this person is an immigrant, I can exploit them in some way. And it's so funny because I actually just realized that three of my like most influential employers in Canada, all of them were immigrants. Not South Asian specifically, one of them was, but everyone knew, I guess, the immigrant work ethic and they were open to it, but I wonder, like. I just realized this I was like wow so because I was I have been the hiring manager too so I understand there are times when people on our hiring committee they would not be able to say the name then they would reject the resume oh what it happens I had to be actively I had to actively keep the resumes and say well even though the experience is not in Canada it's still valid it means something but it happens all the time that you don't even get the opportunity no matter what and I think that's the key difference of like the person who immigrates after their bachelor's or after work experience it you start from scratch that's real yeah yeah absolutely
0: Gosh, that's a vivid memory of my mom. So my mom is uh, my mom holds a PhD in microbiology. as a scientist. And when we moved here, I remember her going to do an interview at McDonald's. And even the twelve year old me knew that there was something seriously wrong with this. Like thankfully, like she never had to work odd jobs. She kind of got lucky. I mean, relatively lucky, where she still had to start at the bottom of the mm-hmm. totem pole in her industry and work her way up. But I think this is such a sad reality for, for so many immigrants. And I think that's something that really resonated with me too. When we first met you had said that you kind of refused to accept that like reality that I'm not I'm not gonna do these odd jobs and you really challenged that instead of just blindly accepting it and resigning to it
1: yeah and there's a lot of almost as i said i was hanging out with a lot of immigrants so there's peer pressure i i am very lucky with my parents they were very supportive and they never put this pressure on me however i think there was like a silent expectation that obviously she's gonna do the jobs or like everyone does it they never asked me to but they just assume because everyone does it everyone around me did it i was the only one and I, I think I, when I, I experienced it like for th- two weeks, three weeks. And I was like, no, this is just like, not okay. I am, I can do so. And I also had, I, you know, just how you phrased it. I also got lucky, even though that's not, we just think we got lucky compared to everyone else who didn't get a job that they rightfully deserved. Right. Mm-hmm. I, it's just. We had the experience. I had my results to show for all the campaigns I had run before. I also think because of my education in Canada, it was better for me. If I, I think if I just like tried to get a job, it would not be. It would not be as easy. Yeah. 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 Sure.
0: That you know makes me really curious about. And if you feel comfortable sharing what sort of your pressures were like because mm. i came when i was a kid like i had like nothing yeah. to like worry about and my parents obviously handled everything yeah but, you know my pressures were very different as an mm. immigrant at the age of 12. like i just wanted mm. to like fit into school and mm. do my homework and i was figuring out this uh, this whole culture of what do you mean i don't have to wear a uniform to school like i have to pick what i want to wear every single day <laughs> learning how to work yeah. my locker, but I obviously imagine your experiences mm-hmm. were very different and much more complex. And I, and I wonder if there was a lot of pressure of any kind with
1: immigrating at at this age? I Well, I immigrated six years ago. I am 27, so around 21, 22, that was the age. And for the first two years, I didn't go home because there's also like, a very weird trend like you people don't visit home until they have their residence permanent residence oh i goodness. it was very interesting and i after the second year i was like no this is not okay mm-hmm. there was a lot of just like rejecting the unsaid rules <laughs> when i came here i think my, one of my biggest pressures i think as a south asian person and as a south asian daughter I think one of my big, when you say pressure, the number one thing that comes to my mind is like just the pressure of finding a partner. Oh. Um, it's so interesting, but because my, my parents now are in India, both of them, my whole family is in India. They, my mom keeps on saying this, even though very educated, very supportive. She just keeps on saying, I just want you to have your family there. I just want you to have a partner. Who will take care of you there. And I know she means in the best way, but I didn't even question or think about these things. Like I was closer to turning twenty five and that was the age that my mom like had fixed in her mind. Like that's the timeline that she has for me. It's like, Mm -hmm. Oh, she has the job, she has everything. Like I remember my mom telling me, she's like, You're well settled. What are you waiting Mm -hmm. for? Mm-hmm. And the bell settled. I'm like, according to who? Yeah. And then now I am 27. I'm going to be 28. And my mom, and now they understand me. We've had a lot of conversations. And even though they're not pressurizing me, every time I was there, there's a random auntie just commenting about like, why am I not married? So in this stage right now, that's my number one, I guess, pressure. But when I had moved, and I immigrated, I think for me, it was personally just because I'm, I am ambitious, I really wanted to prove myself. I wanted to prove everyone that I could make the money. I could, like I was good enough to be, I deserved this. And I had, I think when I got, I at a time, I think my last semester, I had three different jobs. All of them were in digital marketing, but I had three different jobs along with school. So, and every, I I don't remember every job, like almost paid minimum wage. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Yeah. So every every job kind of paid me minimum wage, but at least I was getting the experience. And then I didn't want to stay in London, Ontario, because it's so white, not open to our culture. Like it's just, you can't get the food, let alone other things. So, for me personally, I just like really wanted to prove myself and then moving into GTA even though I felt so much more included, I saw more people, Brampton felt like home. Okay, perfect. So, Asuna, how do you think, and
0: maybe you've reflected on this before, but how do you think now living here in this part of the world has impacted
1: or shifted like your identity as a brown woman in any way? i genuinely don't believe that i would turn out this way if i was living in india or working in india Mm -hmm. i think so for example my brother he grew up in india went to a school in the same state of punjab like universities and mechanical engineering like got a great job all of those things however Mm -hmm. that's his world he like the openness to the rest of the society it's almost missing so I feel mm-hmm. like the ashma that I was six years before like before moving to Canada I genuinely did not know anyone else's almost experience of living like i just know how brown people live and that was it that was no. it i did not know black people's experiences i did not know why people's nothing at all and i also did not know the opportunities that were available to me mm-hmm. i i know there there are challenges of being an immigrant and i also never take for granted the opportunities and, you know, just the the beautiful things that have happened since I've come here. And I, I do believe that I wouldn't have gotten those chances. So my identity, which is also rooted in just the work that I do, at least in this season of my life, I mm. think Canada has shaped me, like just to become this. I I don't think I would have ever started my own business if I was in yeah. India something that's yeah i've never i never nobody at least in my family like it was just not the thing like my dad's in the service industry like yeah just Mm. we've never this was not even an option especially in my 20s yeah yeah
0: yeah, I think you're right. There's definitely a lot of growth that happens, right? right. As we face a lot of challenges. And in your case, face yeah. like most of them alone. Um, mm-hmm. You don't have your parents and your family here to fall back on. Uh, so to face yeah. them alone, that can be a very transformative time in someone's
1: life. Yeah, I feel like it does feel like you're in survival mode all of the time. I think, I just like had this sense of relief after I got my permanent residence like okay you know like it's okay now i and literally I think I got it in the month of May last year and in the month of June I incorporated my business because like it's it's just such little things that I hey like I wasn't even allowed to have a business bank account on my work permit it's just and you can't pay taxes you can't have an hst mm-hmm. number as a non-resident or like not as easily it was just so hard to legally live and operate a business mm-hmm. and i that was like 100 percent. i feel like just changed me and i think being an entrepreneur in itself is it's, it's a journey and I think I've grown so much the highs and lows only because of, because of this choice that I've made and I think just like as you said navigating all of these challenges alone it's real it's just like sometimes it's just like the little things when you get sick and all you want is to like have your mom around. Mm. it's such little things and i and i do know that i'm so blessed that now i run my business and it's one of the main reasons that you know because i own my own business i can travel to india i can work from india and i do that two to three months in the year again very lucky and i yeah it's totally it's it's hard especially when i think you're going through personal challenges whether it be a breakup whether you're sick all of those personal things when you really crave that family Mm. to just rely on you done yeah all of my friends around here who like I think we were at this one of a kind uh, show recently, mm-hmm. and all my friends are born and brought up very, a very diverse group, but born and brought up in Canada. And um, my friend asked, she's like, "Oh, do you have anyone in Ontario? Like, any family in Ontario?" <laughs> and I'm like, "No, I don't have family in Canada." And I'm like, "Actually, I don't have family in North America. America," and I- <laughs> and everyone just like went silent and, and- mm-hmm. like, "Whoa!" And I'm like. Yeah, and I, for me, I'm just like living, you know, I don't, yeah. I, I, it didn't even occur to me. It's just something that I lived with and everyone was like, oh, so what are you doing for Christmas? I'm like, well, I don't even celebrate Christmas. So yeah. it's just like always, you know, mm-hmm. I am in between these two cultures, especially because I travel quite often. I, I feel like it's, it is a different person that I become almost when I go home and then I'm here it, and I'm always navigating, uh, do I belong? Where do I belong? And the answer is usually like, oh, somewhere in the middle.
0: Yeah, yeah. Gosh, yeah, I didn't even think about some of those little things like you said, like well seemingly little things like mm-hmm. experiencing, you know, a heartbreak or like a cold or you're sick and you don't have the comfort of um yeah. family. Yeah. That can, a that can home be home cook food. Right. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, you gotta cook all the home. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Just little be- thing. Yeah, I can see that. I really appreciate you sharing your experiences with me here. Yeah, just being vulnerable and
1: coming on here and sharing with everyone. Of course. No, I thank you so much for creating this podcast. Thank you so much for asking such thoughtful questions. I appreciate you so much. Thank you. Thank you so
0: much. It's been lovely chatting with you today. And you know, we kind of talk about this for days and days and days. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But um this has been really lovely. Just learning more about your experience and seeing the parallels but also the differences in our immigration journeys. Um and congratulations again on your business. Everything
1: seems to be going really well. Thank you so much. It's truly a blessing. Thank you. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Perfect. Well, if anyone would like to get in touch
0: with Ashma, I will leave all of her contact details below. Definitely check out her work. She does some really awesome
1: things. Thank you. Thanks so much. The guest and the host at
0: Brown People Problems do not offer individualized therapeutic advice and our conversations should not be interpreted as such. This podcast is not a replacement for therapy. This podcast exists for educational purposes only. Please consider your circumstances and engage with the content mindfully.